0: Section 17 of The Three Commanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manilakis. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter 13, Part 2. While Jack and most of the party had been examining the rock, Hamid, with Desmond and Tim Nolan, had gone on towards a height some distance from the shore, under the expectation of being able to obtain from its summit an extensive view inland. After leaving the rock, Jack sent the party, two or three together, to examine the rocks, to ascertain if the bodies of any of the crew had been washed up upon them. Jack still had hopes that the crew had been able to hold on to the wreck, till the falling tide should have allowed them to reach the shore. Still, he could discover nothing to settle the point, it was only evident that the guns must have been thrown overboard and the masts cut away before she reached the shore. Perhaps Adair might afterwards have set off overland to try and reach one of the Arab towns belonging to the Sultan of Zanzibar, where he could obtain provisions and from whence he could send notice to the council where he was, so that a ship of war might be dispatched to render him assistance. Jack was looking after Hamid when he caught sight of a figure running along at full speed from the direction of the hill and every now and then casting a look behind him indicative of alarm jack immediately summoned the men from the rocks and as he hurried forward he recognized tim nolan your honor it's bad news i bring he exclaimed panting for breath though he did not forget to touch his hat to the commander the spalpeens of arabs have been and taken mr desmond and our interpreter ahmed and they'll be cutting their throats if we don't look sharp and carry them elp "'as they were hurrying them down the hill "'and looking thunder and lightning at them, "'Hamed cried out to me, "'Run for your life and tell the captain! "'And sure run, I did, "'or they'd have been after cutting my throat if I hadn't.'" On receiving this intelligence, Jack immediately dispatched Mr. Matson's boat to the ship with directions to signalize Murray to send his boats, well-armed, on shore, desiring his own lieutenant to return with two more from the ship. He immediately, with his boat's crew, pushed on in the direction Tim believed Desmond and Hamid had been carried. Instead, however, of going over the hill, he led his men round it at a turn, hoping by this to cut off the Arabs as they descended into the plain. Tim, one of the most active of the party, kept well ahead. He had just rounded the rocky point when he caught sight of a party of Arabs, twenty or more in number, with Desmond and Hamid in their midst. Hamid, by the gesticulations he was employing, was apparently expostulating with his captors, while Desmond was using strenuous means to show them that he was disinclined to move forward. The Arabs were so engaged with their prisoners that they did not observe the approach of the English till they were close upon them. Jack and his companions redoubled their speed. "'Hurrah!' shouted Tim. "'Knock the Blackamoys down right and left, and we'll be up soon!' Desmond was perfectly ready to follow this advice, and two or three well-directed blows enabled him to spring out from among the astonished Arabs and join his friends. Hamid made a similar attempt, but being tripped up was caught by the Arabs, two of whom held their daggers at his breast. They sticky into me, they sticky into me, shouted poor Hamid, if you not do what I ask. What is it? inquired Jack, who had continued advancing towards the Arabs they let go if not shoot answered hamid tell them that though they deserve to be punished for daring to capture her majesty's officers i will not injure them if they will inform me in what direction our friends have gone said jack hamid on this appeared greatly relieved and a long parley ensued between him and the arabs their chief a ragged old fellow with somewhat tattered though once rich garments stepped forward and, making a profound salaam, uttered a long address, which Hamid briefly interpreted. "'He say you pay him a hundred dollars. He take you where English stop and fighty black fellows.' The Arab himself and his followers were as black as Negroes, by the by, having probably more African than Asiatic blood in their veins. "'The rascals!' exclaimed Jack. "'Why, we are sparing their lives, and they have the impudence to name their own terms.' Tell them we'll shoot every one of them if they refuse to guide us to our friends. Hamid had another talk with the chief. He say very well, you shoot to his people, and be no wiser than at first. The old fellow's got sense in his brains, observed Jack, and as we can't pay him the dollars till we get back to the ship, the bribe may prevent him from acting treacherously and leading us into an ambush. Tell him that if through his means we recover our friends, I promise him the hundred dollars though he must come on board my ship to receive them. The old slave-dealer again salaamed and, through Hamid, expressed his perfect satisfaction with the arrangements. Jack would gladly have set off at once, for he suspected, from what Hamid had learned from the chief, that Adair and his crew must be very hard-pressed and destitute both of provisions and water. The Arabs looked greatly astonished at the strong force which landed and became very humble and submissive. Perhaps Jack might have saved the hundred dollars, which were certain to be employed in the slave trade, had he waited the arrival of the other boats. He had, however, promised them, and there was no help for it. He could only hope that the old fellow and his crew might be caught with a full cargo of slaves on board their dhow. To Jack's surprise, instead of proceeding south, their guides led the way to the northward, Hamid explaining that so large a force had appeared in the south, that the shipwrecked crew had been compelled to retire northward, and jack concluded that they had done so in the hopes of being able to communicate with the corvette which edair knew to be in that direction or perhaps with some of the romps boats which might be cruising in the same quarter sailors are always in high spirits when tramping overland in the hopes of either having a fight or succoring those in distress if the chief was to be believed there was a fair probability of both those events occurring murray as senior officer of course took command of the expedition he and Jack marched on together. Not entirely trusting their guides, they sent out scouts on either hand to feel the way, while the men were ordered to keep well together and to be in readiness at any moment in case of a surprise. "'Ere now!' exclaimed Desmond, who with Tom and Archie were in the rear. "'I hope we may get a scrimmage with these Blackamores, the Spalpeens to be attacking my uncle and his shipwrecked crew instead of lending them a hand, as any decent people would.' when we want to help them and put a stop to slavery. That's the very thing they don't want to have stopped, observed Archie. As long as they can make more money by selling their fellow creatures, though no blacker than themselves, they'll do it. If we had a fleet of merchantmen on the coast, said Desmond, ready to give good prices for their ivory and ostrich feathers and anything else their country produces, while all and every slave trader knew that if caught he was to be hung up, i fancy that the slave trade would soon be knocked on the head a very good idea of yours desmond but it may be a difficult matter to induce merchants to send their vessels out it will be done in time if they find out that it is to their advantage said archie if i had the management of affairs i'd make them do it cried desmond when a thing ought to be done the sooner it is done the better and if as you say it is the only way to stop this abominable slave trade and the misery and death of tens of thousands of Africans, we Englishmen shouldn't stop haggling about the cost, but do it at once. That's my notion, said Tom, and when my eldest brother gets into Parliament, I'll give him no rest till he gets the thing done, somehow or other. The other midshipmen were all of accord on the matter, but their conversation was interrupted by one of the scouts coming in with the information that he had seen a large party of men at the foot of a rocky height in the distance ahead, very busy about something or other, but what it was he could not make out. Hamed, after questioning the old chief, informed Murray and Jack that the people seen were undoubtedly those who had followed Adair and his crew, who were, in all probability, not far off. The force, therefore, pushed on, and passing over some very rough ground, reached a spot whence they could make out three or four hundred people on the low ground, and a small party on a rocky height. Two or three tiny jets of smoke, sent forth every now and then by the latter, showed that they had firearms, though very few, and from the intervals which elapsed between each shot, it was evident that they were husbanding their ammunition, and only firing when necessity compelled them to keep their assailants in check. On observing this, Murray ordered his party at once to fire a volley, which would inspirit their friends and intimidate the enemy. "'Forward!' cried the commanders and they pushed on at a rate which quickly brought them close to the scene of action as they advanced leaping over rocks and all impediments towards the mongrel army the leaders of the latter were seen to be moving about in evident alarm at the instant a shower of bullets was sent rattling among them they to a man faced about and scampered off as fast as their legs could carry them the relieving force quickly surmounted the height where they found adair with six or seven of his officers and little more than half his crew Jack and Murray were soon shaking him warmly by the hand. He and his companion's appearance showed, before a word had been spoken, that succor had come most opportunely. Their emaciated looks and hollow eyes told too plainly how they had suffered from hunger. Not a particle of food remained in the camp, or a drop of water, and not more than three rounds of ammunition for the six muskets which had been saved from the wreck. "'If you hadn't come, my dear fellows, it would have been all up with us, I fear,' said Adair we'd made up our minds to rush down on the enemy and try to put them to flight but without food and no chance of getting any we should only have gained the advantage of being allowed to die in peace unless one of our boats had appeared for which we came here to look out it is the saddest thing which has ever happened to me twenty poor fellows drowned besides the loss of the brig and as we have seen nothing of our boats i am afraid some harm must have happened to them Jack and Murray did their best to comfort him, while all hands were employed in serving out the provisions and water which had so thoughtfully been brought. As the Romp's crew were too weak to march, the party bivouacked on the hill with plenty of campfires, for which the blacks collected abundance of fuel. Just as they were about to start at daylight, two boats were seen rounding a point, and Adair had the satisfaction of finding that they were those which had been dispatched from the brig some weeks before and which had since been cruising in search of her. The more sickly men were at once placed on board them, and they were sent round to join the gauntlet, while the rest of the party set off overland, accompanied by their Arab guide, who kept close to them for fear of losing his dollars. On getting on board, Jack paid him punctually, with a warning imparted through Hamid, that if they were employed in the slave trade, he would lose them again, and get himself into further trouble. Whether or not the old fellow followed the advice he received, Jack had no means of ascertaining. On the return to Zanzibar, the opal and gauntlet received orders to proceed to the cape. Loud cheers rose from the decks of both ships as the news was announced on board, and even poor Adair, though he had the unpleasant anticipation of a court-martial for the loss of the brig, felt his spirits rise considerably. Jack comforted him with the assurance that the evidence his officers had to give must acquit him of all blame, and that he himself had done everything possible to save the brig but I had no business to have been caught in the bay, sighed Adair. My prospects in the service are ruined, and I shall never get another ship. Never fear, answered Jack. We shall have perhaps a war before long, and depend upon it. You will not be overlooked when ships are fitting out. Officers of dash and determination will be wanted, and you possess the required qualities. The packet from England had come in the day before they arrived at the Cape, and Jack found a letter from Admiral Triton. "'We shall have some of the old work again before long, my boy. "'Depend upon that,' he wrote. "'I have it from the best authority that the Russians have made up their minds "'to quarrel with the Turks and take possession of Constantinople. "'They have been for some time past badgering them about the holy places "'and insisting that their co-religionists are ill-treated by the Moslems. "'Not that they really care about the matter.' and that is sufficient to convince anyone who has got his weather eye open that they only want a pretext for war, decent or indecent. Uh, The news has just arrived, though it has not yet been made public, that we should be suspicious of the designs of Louis-Napoleon, who has so wonderfully been transmogrified into an emperor, Uh, though for my part I believe that no ruler of France has ever been more friendly disposed towards us, and the Russians will find that they are mistaken in wishing to set us by the ears that prince menzikoff uh, their ambassador to the port has presented the ultimatum of the russian government which means war for the turks are certain not to knock under and we and the french would not let them if they thought of doing so uh, the russians intend to invade turkey with all possible despatch indeed they have an army all ready to throw across the frontier menzikoff will be away from constantinople in the course of a day or two and then the business will begin "'Our government intends to send a fleet through the Dardanelles without delay, "'and as the Russians have no small number of ships in the Black Sea, "'we may hope to have a brush with them. "'I wish you were here, Jack, to take a part in whatever goes on, "'and I am glad to find that your ship is ordered home, "'so that there is a chance of your being in time. "'You will not let the grass grow under your feet, "'and as you can steam through the calm latitudes, "'we may hope to see you here before long.' I never like steamers, but they have their advantages. There's no doubt about that. In the meantime, I'll use all the influence I possess to get you a craft you'll like. And as I fancy that more work is to be done in a steam vessel than a sailing ship, I'll try and get one for you. The Admiral's letter contained a good deal more than his usual style of chit-chat. Mrs. Murray had gone to stay with her friend Lucy at Halliburton Hall, though he expected both of them back again, and hoped that they would be with him when Jack arrived jack showed the letter to terence who sighed when he read it what's the matter asked jack i'm only thinking that an unlucky dog like myself who has lost his ship has very little chance of getting another said adair and that the bright hopes i entertained of soon getting my post rank must be abandoned forever jack of course did his best to console him come along he said there's a grand ball tonight at the governor's and we're asked We'll take the youngsters, it is a good thing to let them enjoy little society, and we'll help to polish them up before they return home. Adair was unwilling to appear in public, but he yielded to Jack's wishes. The three midshipmen were, of course, delighted, and busily employed themselves, with the aid of their marines, in burnishing up their long, unused uniforms, so that when they entered the ballroom they presented a very respectable appearance following in the wake of their commanders.' Adair soon recovered his spirits, and Jack laughed as he watched him whirling round and round in the vaults, or prancing away in the gallop with true Hibernian vehemence. The midshipmen had entered into a compact to introduce each other to their partners. They did not fail to admire the blue eyes, light hair, and fair complexions of the Dutch damsels. "'Never saw so many pretty girls under one roof in my life,' exclaimed Tom. "'I'm over head and ears in love with every one of them!' There's luck in odd numbers, cried Rory O'Moore, answered Desmond. To my fancy, the girl I last danced with is handsomer than any of them. She was asking me all sorts of questions about our ship and the commander and my uncle, and seemed very sorry about the loss of the brig, of which she had evidently heard. I'll introduce you, Tom. She was engaged for the next dance, but she said that she would be happy if I would bring you up for the following one, so come along. She's only been here for a short time on her way home to India, so I gathered from what she said but I dare say she'll tell you if you ask her, for there's evidently no nonsense about her. "'That's just the sort of girl I like,' said Tom, as Desmond led him across the room to a young lady who was seated far back in an alcove, from whence she could watch the crowd without being observed. Tom, as he made his bow, and was received with a sweet smile, thought that she fully came up to Desmond's description, though she was certainly older than most of his previous partners. He willingly, in answer to her inquiries, told her all about the ship, his brother Jack and Adair. She then got him to talk about Halliburton, and he was surprised to find that she was well acquainted with the country. At last she said, I wonder you do not remember me, Tom? On which, looking into her face, he exclaimed, Why, you are Julia Gifford! She acknowledged that such was the case, and that she had gone out to India with her father, Colonel Gifford, who had been compelled, on account of ill health, to visit the Cape, and had been advised to return home without going back. Oh, "'Jack will be delighted to see you,' said Tom. "'I'll go and find him and bring him to you, if you allow me.' Julia replied that she should be very happy to talk about old times with Captain Rogers, and Tom, after the dance was over, leaving her in her former seat, hurried off to find his brother. "'I thought I must be her,' said Jack. "'But yet, as I fancied she was at home, "'I concluded that she was only remarkably like herself. "'She doesn't look a day older than when I last saw her.'" Miss Gifford held out her hand as Jack approached, and they were soon engaged in an interesting conversation. Jack did not dance with anyone else during the evening. He promised to call the next morning on Colonel Gifford, who had not been well enough to come to the ball. The result of the visit was that Jack offered to convey him and his daughter to England as the gauntlet was to sail immediately and might hope to make a quick passage and the colonel being anxious to arrive at home as soon as possible he gladly availed himself of jack's offer Julia seemed very well pleased at the arrangement and the midshipmen were delighted when they heard that they were to have a lady on board the gauntlet and opal sailed the same day it was to be a race between steam and wind at first the trim corvette with a fair breeze distanced her consort and Archie, who, still on board the steamer, retained a natural feeling of pride in his own ship, declared that she would win. Stay a bit till the wind falls, and we get our fires alight, answered Tom. The old kettle will then show how she can go along. Miss Gifford had not been on board long before the commander's attentions to her were remarked, and in the midshipman's berth it was decided that it was a gone case. Miss Gifford had heard of Jack's engagement to the beautiful Irish girl, and of his bereavement and the sympathy she exhibited quickly melted any ice which might have existed round his heart. His sisters would have been highly pleased could they have known the turn affairs were taking. Long before the ship reached spitted, Jack was engaged to Julia Gifford with the colonel's full consent. The gauntlet received orders immediately to go into harbor, and scarcely had she picked up her moorings than a note from Admiral Triton came on board, begging Jack to come to South Sea as soon as possible, as his sister and Mrs. Murray were anxious to see him. Jack and Adair escorted Colonel Gifford and his daughter to the George, where, leaving them, they hurried on to the Admiral's house. Stella was anxious to receive news of her husband, while Lucy's happiness at seeing Jack and Adair was somewhat marred at being told of the loss of the brig. When, however, the Admiral heard all the particulars, he assured Adair that he would be honorably acquitted, and that it would not stand in the way of his getting another ship i've good news for you whatever others may think of it he added the russians have already invaded the principalities and at the sultan's request the british and french fleets have passed through the dardanelles and taken up an anchorage before constantinople they were there when news arrived which reached me only this morning that the turks had a squadron of eight frigates and a few smaller vessels lying at anchor in the harbour of sinope according to turkish custom totally unprepared for battle instead of remaining where they were they would have acted more wisely had they got out of the black sea and run for safety to the british fleet as it was there they lay not dreaming of danger when during a thick fog the russian admiral natchimov sailed out of sevastopol with six line liner battleships two frigates and several small vessels and suddenly appeared off the port when the turks not liking his appearance fired a few shots at him unfortunately for themselves he immediately without giving them the chance of "'Striking the flags opened upon them a tremendous fire "'from the broadsides of his line-of-battle ships. "'Though they could not have had the slightest hope of victory, "'they fought on with the utmost desperation. "'Either refusing to strike their colors, "'or, if they were hauled down, "'the Russian admiral was too blind to see it. "'With barbarous resolution, he continued blazing away "'till frigate after frigate sunk or was blown up, "'and four thousand of the brave fellows "'who had manned them were killed.' One steamer only managed to get away and carry the news to Constantinople. Scarcely 400 Turks, all of those more or less wounded, escaped on shore. The town was also dreadfully knocked about, and many people were killed. Nachimov, having waited till the next day, returned to the harbor of Sebastopol. I only hope the next time he sails out of it, whether or not he has the whole of the Russian fleet to back him, that he will fall in with a British squadron. Depend upon it england will not allow this outrage to go unavenged the allied fleets are by this time in the black sea looking out for the enemy i wish you were there but we shall be reinforcing the fleet in the black sea as well as sending another up the baltic to attack the russians on their northern shores this was not a time that adair could press his suit with sir john though colonel gifford promised to use his influence as soon as he returned home meantime the colonel and julia accepted the admirals and mrs deborah's invitation to remain at South Sea till Jack had paid off the gauntlet. She was to be immediately recommissioned as soon as she had undergone the necessary repairs. The court-martial to try Adair for the loss of the romp immediately took place, when not only was he honorably acquitted, but next day he was appointed to the command of the gauntlet, ordered to proceed with the squadron under Sir Charles Napier to the Baltic. Jack, taking it into his head that he was to be placed on the shelf, proposed to marry at once, but the very next day he was appointed to a new steamer ordered to be brought forward with all dispatch for the Mediterranean squadron. He had time, therefore, only to run home for a few days and return immediately to Portsmouth. The Opal, meantime, had arrived, and being paid off, her crew were turned over to Jack's new ship, the Tornado. Murray, once more with his dear Stella, very naturally had no wish to leave her, and were on the point of setting off for Scotland, when he received a flattering note from Captain Hemming, which completely altered his plans i have been appointed to the Briton, seventy four and having to select my commander i beg that you allow me to name you as i am very sure that you will get her well manned and quickly fit for sea and that you will ably second me in any work we have to perform i consider you my dear murray as efficient an officer as any with whom i am acquainted i do not know yet whether we are to be sent to the baltic or the mediterranean "'but we are certainly to go to one or the other.' "'Alec placed the matter before Stella, "'who looked very pale, but answered heroically. "'You must do what you conceive to be your duty. "'I have before advised you not to give up the service, "'and I must therefore say, "'accept Captain Hemming's flattering offer.' "'I knew that you would decide rightly,' answered Murray. "'I heartily congratulate you,' exclaimed the admiral.' "'Deb and I will take good care of your wife while you're away. "'It won't be for a long period, I hope, "'and it won't be Hemming's fault "'if you do not have some opportunity "'of distinguishing yourself and gaining your post-rank. "'I should like to see you all three captains "'before I slip my cable, "'which I must expect to do before many years are over, "'and it will give me more pleasure "'than I can well express to see you all, "'whom I knew as youngsters, "'gain your well-earned promotion.' You've always done your duty, and will I am sure prove ornaments to our profession as long as you remain afloat. End of Section seventeen.